You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we're sharing a conversation Tom had with Utah Senator Howard Stevenson, a longtime advocate for personalized learning, and who helped architect the successful Utah Preparing Students Today for a Rewarding Tomorrow, or Upstart program. So Upstart is an in-home, technology-delivered kindergarten readiness program that gives preschool-aged children individualized reading, math, and science instruction, with a focus on on the reading portion and is offered statewide in Utah. Through this program, over 350,000 Utah students, which is more than half, are benefiting from daily personalized learning, which is in part a result of Senator Stevenson's great digital learning leadership. Here's more from his chat with Tom. This is Tom Vanderark with the Getting Smart Podcast. We're, we're with Senator Howard Stevenson, a digital uh, learning leader. Uh, Senator Stevenson, you've been a real leader on personalized learning. Where did the early interest come from? My undergraduate work, I studied educational psychology, and I was fascinated by Jean Piaget, uh, all of his teachings, but there was one in particular where he talked about the power of immediate interactive feedback, saying that anybody can be proficient achieve mastery if they get immediate interactive feedback while doing the work. And then later, Benjamin Bloom in the 60s actually started schools based on the theory that when you give immediate feedback, student learning increases exponentially. Uh, and I've just wondered why it is that our education systems do not honor that, that finding. They, they respect those two leaders for so many of their findings, but not for immediate feedback. So when computers came along, I realized that in Piaget's day, immediate feedback could be provided really only through a tutor. But uh, today with computers, I realized that we could be giving students immediate feedback while they're doing their math homework. Instead of a child going home and crying over 30 algebra problems that their parents can't help them with, and then they turn them in the next day and get red marks on them as if that somehow informs their learning, Instead, to give that immediate feedback while working the problem would exponentiate that learning, and it truly does, when it's done with fidelity, when it's done the way it should be and integrated into the instructional program. So my crusade has been to do that, and that's why I've been advocating for personalized do you, learning. Do you remember the first software package that you saw that provided that sort of valuable real-time feedback and making that connection? I don't remember the name of it, but I, I know, know it was pretty rudimentary, pretty crude, and not adaptive. It would drill a child through a series of problems and give that feedback. But today, it's not only interactive, but it's adaptive. So a child working on certain problems, when they demonstrate mastery of that concept, it moves them forward rather than making them do the seven more problems on the same thing. I remember in uh, 1994, as a first-year superintendent, getting a demonstration of uh, Waterford, um, an early adaptive reading program, and being really impressed. That, that was a Utah nonprofit and an early pioneer in adaptive reading software. Yes, uh, and now they have really been focusing on pre-K through grade three, believing that if we can uh, get kids reading at grade level by grade three, we can end the achievement gap, literally eliminate it. So you, this year, uh, received some exciting feedback on a preschool program 
called Upstart that you helped to architect uh, about four years ago. Tell, tell us about that program. Actually, it was about eight years ago when we started it. We now have five-year data on it for fourth graders. But uh, we were invited to participate with a number of other states who did not have a formal pre-K program. And our team decided that we don't have the money in Utah to have a bricks-and-mortar pre-K program because we're spending less per student than any state in the nation already. And that would be like adding water to the soup. So we decided to find out if there was a way of instructing children in their homes with a computer-based system. And sure enough, we put it out for bid, and Waterford was the winning bidder. And we now have uh, eight years of history of those children in the program. But in the first few years, the districts, the school districts, would not flag the student's record, student record, for having been on the program. But we required it, and so now we have the oldest cohort which was flagged on their student record, who just left fourth grade. And so now five years ago, they were on the program, and our findings are incredible. So let's come back to the findings, but tell us, what's the student learning experience like? How how many times were they typically on the program? Like, what what amount of time? What's the treatment look like? They go on the computer with two raccoon cartoon characters who are there mentors, their teachers for the whole program, called Rusty and Rosie. And for 20 minutes a day, minimum, four days a week, they go on and have that experience with those learning modules. And it's adaptive to them so it doesn't drill them through things they already know, uh, which would really turn them off. So the requirement is that every child needs to be on it for 20 minutes a day, four days a week. But typically what we're getting is far in excess of that minimum requirement because it is so joyful for the students. They just love it. In fact, if the kid isn't on it in the first week, they're contacted and the parent is told there is a waiting list. Uh, We need to put it in another home if Johnny's not going to use it. The mother will say, I'll get him on it. And after getting him to do it for two or three times, from then on he basically does it himself. Sometimes the first thing he does when he wakes up in the morning is says, Mom, can I go on with Rusty and Rosie? So we get far more fidelity in the program than any program I've ever seen because it's uh, based on the student's desire to do it because it is so joyful and they know what it is doing for them. So let's talk about the results. Um, Now that you can track kids all the way into fourth grade, you're not only seeing big initial gains, but uh, what's even more exciting is gains sustained over time. Yes. We required there to be a third-party evaluation of each cohort as they entered kindergarten, and they were shown in that cohort to be two or three times the growth of kids who are not on the program. And so we knew that that was significant, but we wanted to know what is the lasting effect. So now we have kids who are in fourth grade, third, second, and first grade, in previous years. Uh, So the fourth graders were there five years ago. And this is the only difference between them and the other kids in the statewide uh, evaluation. Uh, These students who are on the program are uh, 10, 15, sometimes 30 points of proficiency above their other cohorts. I'm looking at the results right now and they're remarkable, particularly for low-income students, minority students, and Students with special needs. Yes. That's really exciting. It it does have a a profound effect for kids in the middle class, 
but uh, they typically are the kids who already get the 30 million words spoken at home and right. have a have that supportive environment. So it doesn't have as as big an effect on them. But the kids who are in special ed, that shows the biggest gains. Kids who are minority, low income, and immigrant children, profound effects over their peers. And it, it, it speaks to the idea that once we know the effect, and especially the lasting effect, to not provide this for every student would be, in my opinion, educational malpractice. So we now have expanded the program to 10,000 of our 40,000 four-year-olds, and we're hoping to make it available to everybody, even, even the upper and middle class kids who will benefit uh, also from it. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and in this episode, Tom is speaking with digital learning leader, Senator Howard Stevenson, about the impressive results of Upstart, Utah's in-home education technology kindergarten readiness program. As they continue to track participants' progress as they move through elementary school, Senator Stevenson also shares how powerful the non-cognitive effects of this program are for the students. Well, that child who, in that low-income neighborhood, never thought he was special in any way, maybe except for basketball or athletics, uh, he shows up at kindergarten and is evaluated. And often the teacher will say to the parent, this child already knows everything I'm going to teach this year. I mean, whether it's colors, it's shapes, it's letter sounds, and they're typically reading at a first or second grade level. Mm -hmm. So the, the teacher will arrange for the child to go to the first grade reading group so that he's not disruptive during the time that she's teaching phonetic sounds and blending. And then the child is given leadership roles in the classroom, too, to help them not become bored. So that child, looking around at his class during that first week, realizes, I am one of the smartest kids in my class. The teacher is sending me to the first grade for reading. I'm giving us, given assignments to help my fellow students. That self-image is as lasting as the cognitive start that they get that puts them ahead of the class. So your leadership in personalized learning hasn't been limited to preschool. You, you've also created some incentives for Utah schools to adopt personalized learning tools in elementary school and, uh, and in secondary schools. Tell us a little bit about those programs. We started with uh, software. Lots of states start with one-to-one -one devices, but we decided we needed to start with content. Let's first get the teachers to buy into the idea that this, these computer-assisted instructional software programs can be integrated into their instructional model and support them in their teaching. That these programs can prescribe for the teacher the kinds of interventions that a unique child needs one-on-one. -on -one. So basically, we're getting the software first, the content first, and getting it integrated in the instructional program. And now we have a plan for moving forward with one-to-one -one devices. But unlike other states and, and Los Angeles Unified and others that have failed at one-to-one -one devices, we have the content in place first and then add the device. So you did uh, an, an RFP. You identified effective software. And then you created incentive for some but not all of your schools, how did you, what was the theory behind that? It's similar to the theory behind uh, why people line up for charter schools, because it's scarce. They don't know whether that 
charter school that is just opening its doors is going to do a very good job or not, but there's a long waiting list and it gives the notion of scarcity. Similarly, we wanted to make sure that this was not a mandate and it was not an entitlement, but the teaching teams had to bring a plan for how they would implement that software in their instructional model. And they did, and then they got to choose the software they wanted. For example, we have five different early intervention reading software programs to, to reach 45,000 of our 200,000 K through 3 students in the state who are reading below grade level. So we're, we're giving them that intervention, but the school got to choose the software. We did not mandate which software they wanted. We also have English language instruction for every immigrant kid in the state. They get a half hour to 40 minutes a day of personalized English language instruction and these kids, I went into one, one lab where the kids were on their headsets and they didn't even know we were in the room. They didn't, they didn't even know we were hovering over them because they were so focused on learning English. And recess was next. And many of these children said, teacher, can we stay here? Because they knew what it was doing for them. So we have the English language uh, software. We also have math software, 200,000 licenses for the 600,000 students we have in our state. Again, the schools had to compete for it. Our biggest problem, though, has been matching the fidelity in the use of this software in the classroom with the software in the home. In the home, that child and parent were responsible. It was going to be taken out of the home if they didn't implement it, if they didn't use it regularly. And so there, was, there were the right conditions in the home to get the kind of results we're getting. Whenever the math software, the reading software, the English language software is used with fidelity, it produces phenomenal results. When it's not used with fidelity, it sometimes is actually hurtful because it's taking a kid away from some instructional time that otherwise would have been beneficial, but now you're only giving them dose rates that uh, are inefficient in actually achieving the results. So there have been some recent studies or blogs about the ineffectiveness of of education technology, and it sounds like you think uh, lessons learned in Utah are are applicable there. Yes, uh, there have been in recent uh, weeks uh, several uh, blogs and articles uh, that have said that we have digital learning is a $60 billion hoax. It's not enough to just throw software or throw computers in a classroom and say, this is good stuff, do something with it. You have to have it integrated or it can actually do harm. And that's mainly what we're seeing across the nation. That's why these studies are showing very poor results because of what I refer to as infidelity of implementation. What is, uh, what's next in Utah in terms of digital learning? We now have legislation going forward uh, that was passed this last year that provides for expansion of digital learning, one-to-one devices, and personalized learning throughout the state. But we're not mandating it. We're not even giving it as an entitlement. The schools have to apply for it and bring a plan showing how they're going to integrate it effectively. Without that kind of condition on it, it's not money well spent. Have you seen uh, growth in the school and district leaders in Utah in terms of their their appreciation for the potential of 
digital learning over, over the last five years, in, in part because of these programs? Yes, and we've seen some tremendous leadership in some of our districts. Wasatch County School District, for example, with Superintendent Terry Shoemaker, I think is the national model for one-to-one device deployment. Those kids are on fire. They're doing well. It hasn't had the, the terrible uh, results that are often associated with the first and second year of deployment because they've had good planning, good implementation, and uh, teachers who see it as a tool to assist them in providing the immediate interactive feedback that exponentiates learning. Uh, Utah Senator Howard Stevenson, we really appreciate your leadership on, on digital learning and education policy. It's exciting to see these kinds of results coming from Utah. I'd be happy to share our results with any of your listeners who want to contact me. We'll in, uh, include it in our blog. Thanks. Thanks so much to Senator Stevenson for sharing his thoughts on this podcast. If you'd like to hear more about personalized learning, check out Season 1, Episode 17 of the Getting Smart Podcast, where we discuss student voices serving as a catalyst for personalized learning. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations in learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. Thanks to Troy Lund for mixing this episode for us. And for the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Kat signing off.